simply and humbly. This lecture is comfortable with making decisions and with leaving questions unresolved. Takes responsibility for the effects of its decisions and recognizes that these effects may vary amongst different populations. I hope you are the population that it will affect well. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Barth, for, for setting this up. Uh, wonderful to see uh, people here, people I know, people I don't know. Um, whether or not I know you um, at some point before you leave, uh, I for all time's sake, I put you in charge. <laughs> Certainly uh, a sign up sheet. Um, which uh, does uh, entitle you, we like to think it does entitle you to, to get my weekly degree photo. Um, and very, very occasionally, this is an other events of the center. Um, so that would be great. And if you have questions in the middle, um, please raise your hand and introduce yourself with your name before, uh, right before asking the question. Okay? That would be true. Um, yeah. Okay, so the, um, the top. The topic of the shear really is um, what, do angels, what do angels look like? Uh, and what I'm trying to get is how can there, there are, it seems, at least two psukim that are interpreted by Gemara and Shoshana and Gemara and Avodah as generating a prohibition against creating likenesses of angels. And the problem is how can there be a likeness of angel if angels don't look like angels? Right? It's not quite like God. Because with, with God, the problem is creating a likeness of God because God has no likeness. And that's the right. The reason any, pro, any, any, any image of God is by definition wrong. We want to discourage images of God. But when it comes to angels, right, the prohibition is creating a likeness of an angel, not drawing something and saying that it's an angel. So how can that be if angels don't look like angels? Okay, right? That's the, that's the basic question that we want to talk about halakhically. What I really want to do is... Um, talking about what would one have to understand in order to take that question seriously? Right? What, would it, what would a serious analysis of that question uh, involve? In order to do that, I want to take you back um, behind the chapter. This is chapter 20 of my book, um, but I want to take you back um, long, before, right, long before the book was written. And often, the, um, often things in the book are uh, icebergs, iceberg tips. Uh, they're ways of expressing things I've thought about for a very long time. Um, so we'll take you back to 1992 or three, I think it is. Um, in, in 1992, 93, I think I got my. Um, I was. I, there was a small group of Haratzion Bogrim uh, at the University of Pennsylvania who wanted a weekly shear. My friend Rabbi Yaakov Nagin had been giving that shear, and he had stopped, he stopped giving it. So he offered me the opportunity to give that shear, and I would. Uh, I was. I was in Hawaii at the time. So I would take the train. Um, every, um, once a week to Philadelphia to give to give the shir tenet. It was a really glorious shir. Uh, the shir would start around 7:30 and it would end around 11:30, uh, which is when I had to catch the train back. Uh, we had that shir that way for two years, and then the third year I got to live my reservation fantasy because I had moved to Boston and they bought plane tickets and I flew back and forth from uh, from, from Boston to uh, to, Philadelphia, to Philadelphia once a week. Um, but when I was taking the train. Uh, so I usually, my train usually came in about an hour before I was supposed to start shear. And so I had time to you know, sort, of, sort, of, sort of wander around. And it turns out that in the, um, in the, in the 30th Street station at Philadelphia, there is an absolutely magnificent section. And I had, um, I had really never appreciated any statuary before, or since really, I don't really get statues. 
But this was just, for me, this was an amazing statue. It's called the, uh, the, 30th, the, 30th, the Pennsylvania Railroad War Memorial. It's a memorial put up by the railroad company to honor its soldiers who were killed, its workers who were killed in World War II, and there were over a thousand uh, workers of that railroad who were killed in World War II. And the statue is, the statue, the first thing you have to get it, you have to understand the statue is standing on an 11-foot pedestal, and the statue itself is 28 feet tall. Right, so, right, so we're talking about a, a 40-foot 40 40 statue. And here's what the statue is. There's a, a, there's a base of fire, and there is a, um, there is a humanoid figure rising, at, right, rising out of the fire. And the humanoid fire has wings. And the wings close right, behind, and over the, behind and over the humanoid figure. And the humanoid figure is carrying an obviously dead human. And the title of it is the angel of the resurrection. And I had never, uh, I had never really just been so bowled over by statuary. And that statue just, I found incredibly powerful. And I did it every week. I would spend some time just looking at that statue uh, before I went to share. With profound ambivalence, because I had like a sort of queasy, like I'm looking at a statue and I'm finding a statue powerful. Right? Is that really a Jewish thing to do? Um, and it's a statue that um, inescapably is right there. There isn't a there isn't a vocabulary of Jewish statuary that you can say, oh look, this fits into the long tradition of Jewish statues. No, right? The arch is right. It's the, it's the archangel Michael. That's the angel of the, resur of the angel of the resurrection. And you know what? We don't have a long history of statues of resurrections, but there's another religion that has a long history has a long history of statues of resurrections. And I know enough about Western art to know that the pose of the dead soldier is one that you can find frequently in the history of Western art. So that made it complicated as well. But I dealt with you know I, I thought I, I dealt with these feelings for eight years, and then I decided to do a summer baby drafts program about art. And so here's what here's what the um, the, the question that I get with for those who don't know the summer midrash, which are many alumni here, is a six week program. Four weeks we do one topic per unit. In the fifth week, the fellows write a shuba to a case I constructed, and uh, usually taken from real life as this one was. And the sixth week they present their shuba to each other. So here was the so here was the question. Betzal uh, Buri is a bnei at Yabez High School in Massachusetts. Last year, visiting family members in Philadelphia, he was enormously impressed by the Pennsylvania Railroad War, war Memorial and immediately thought of using it as background for his Jewish studies class on war at Yavis, which covers, among other things, and the Kina of David for Shaul and Yonatan. And like, if I want to get people to understand what's really going on here, right, this is an incredibly powerful statue about loss, uh, loss in a noble cause, but is the noble cause worth it? Uh, right? What is the religious aspect towards right? people who die? People who people die. People who die in noble causes. Uh, right? And, and do you love people? What does it mean to, to mourn people uh, that you love but who died? Right? All those sorts of issues. Um, so, and then we complicated the issue for the um, for the students because issue, one of the class issues that we deal with is the work of art itself versus reproductions of it. So it happens that there is a um, that there is a one-third model reproduction of this statue, uh, which actually the mold from which the statue was cast in was cast in the, in the Museum of Fine Arts. It's not about going there and thinking of bringing the students there, but it just doesn't work as when it's 13 feet tall. It's not the same thing as when it's 40 feet tall. It's just not the same.
So the teacher decides to decides to bring in a poster. And right, the question, and now, and it's just that he's all excited about the art project for right. You know, he's going to have students as they have the students design their own art project as the as the as the conclusion of the year-round war, and then the principal gets involved. Now the principal um, says that guess what? When I was young, I used to hang around that statue too before I became pro. But that was a really, but I remember that was a really powerful statue, and I'm really nervous. Right, whether it's really a good educational idea, or even permitted to encourage students to spend time studying a statue, let alone an image of both an angel and a human being. And furthermore, right, you're, right, do I really want students painting images as the product? Right? Aren't people going to say that we're basically encouraging a bizarre in our high school? Right? We're having people produce religious images of human beings and angels, right? as many of them will do. Um, right, so, what, right, so that was the... Um, that was the show, right? How does one, which was a way of was working through my own, um, my own ambivalence, right? How was one supposed to respond halachically to something that one recognizes as having enormous power, uh, but power in a way that, uh, the way that can scare you? So there were some things that I wanted to um, to set up in advance to try to try and think about what would you have to know or think about in order to pass in this show. Uh, so the first thing is, we have to think about is, is there anything different between going to see the statue and by describing it to you? Maybe the Verde by the Lonely Sermon. Just by, right, if I did a decent job of describing the statue to you, maybe the Verde violated all the purposes of the, uh, of the prohibitions against making images of angels and human beings anyway. Uh, right, so I brought in, right, I'm not going to show you the, I'm not going to show you the, the poster that I brought in because that would prejudge the issue for you. Um, but here is a, a famous picture, right, this is not a pipe. Uh, I'm just wondering like what, what images are and how images relate to their, uh, relate, relate to their tags. Uh, so you have to think about, right, you have to, so to think about what it is, you have to think about to what extent the meaning of a work of art is determined by just what it looks like or by the intent of the artist and what the relationship is between language and other mediums. Uh, secondly, uh, I thought that what if the students don't get it? Right? What if they look at the statue and they say, ah, you know, the statue looks exactly like you know, 15, 15, 15 statues I've seen on television as um, for right, whatever, right, whatever uh, you know, business uses an angel as its trade as its trademark. And for all I know, the statue has already been used as the trademark of 30th Street Gear or whatever it may be. Uh, so, so could they take the Shiloh seriously if they didn't appreciate it? And it had to be something, you know, it can't just be my say-so that you find, right, I find it valuable. Um, so I had the opportunity um, to bring in uh, the kind Ravinder, doesn't do well. Um, so I brought him in, I brought him in from Israel, it happened that um, one of the people who was funding the program was also, was also a huge fan of Robert Ravinder. So he gave me the opportunity to fly Ray Ravinder in. And Ray Ravinder's job was to do two things. One was he gave a sheer on Rembrandt. And particularly on Rembrandt's the Night Watchman, so that people could right, so people could see a, a, a really great comic stuff and really appreciate work of art. And then he led them on a tour of the MFA. Uh, right, so that, um, and he particularly loved Rothko, and that had an enormous impact on me. I, could, I, I had no idea what Theodore Roth, Rothko was that was in front of it, it was just colors on a thing, and, and I said, an original Rothko on the MFA, and it got me. 
Robert got me, I just said they're inserted for you. We got to drag me away also. Um, okay, so that's one thing I want you to know. You have to think, right? So one of the things, in order, in order to task in this Shiloh seriously, you have to understand why somebody would think it matters. And it's very important to understand, right, what you don't understand in that regard. Right? If somebody asks you a Shiloh, right, that's something that matters to them, that you think is trivial, you have to really understand why it is they think it matters. Because right, it's easy to say, why would you want to? Just be safe. Right? There is a shita according to which this is Asr, and it's an Isra Budazar, right? Right? Nothing more serious than the Budazar. Why would you possibly take chances? So in order to raise an order possibly, you have to right, you have to have a sense of why it would matter positively for people. And it seems to me like, you know, I, I can't convey my experience of art, and I don't want to overpower them, but I could bring in somebody else who they accepted as a role model already, and who right, would model why art, uh, why art matters. Um, secondly, there is uh, an Israeli artist named Yossi Rosenstein. Probably some of you have seen his art, but not actually uh, know the name, the name of the artist. I'll describe uh, one of the paintings that I think is coolest. Um, if, if there's a, a man wearing uh, a, plain, a plain white robe in the middle of the desert, standing over a grave. And in the grave is buried an Egyptian royal headdress. And the caption on the painting is, Vayachet HaMitzri Shebo. And he struck down the Egyptian with him, right? So it's obvious what it's a, it's a painting of the moment when motion strikes the Egyptian, written, right, this, uh, done to make you understand that what's important about the moment is perhaps, or, you know, that the world is on its own, right? It, right, is not so much the death of a specific Egyptian, but the shift in Moshe's identity, which is played out in the word Me'achav shows up twice in that verse because Moshe's identity is ambivalent at the outset and then changes to entirely, entirely the Israel at the end of it. So this is an example, I think, of a beautiful visual midrash. Uh, it shows you how you can teach things about Torah visually. And it also happens to be that Yasser Rosenstein does not do either faces or limbs. Uh, right? it's, a, it's a way, if you look at it, that teaches you how technical halakha does not necessarily constrain the capacity for expression. And that's really a big thing, because when we talk about what the halakha part is supposed to do, so one way of thinking about it is it's telling us right, what we can and can't express. Another way of thinking about it is it's setting up right, that, the, that the goal is for us to be able to express everything, but to be able to express everything in such a way that there's a constant reminder that there are right, that there are restrictions. Right, if you want to give you know a, uh, a different metaphor, we did the halakha of the shul nachri. Um, some of you I don't know if any were there. You did the shul nachri in in, in SDN. So the question is that the laws of the shul nachri are designed to prevent social relationships between Jews and non-Jews, or designed to make sure that there's always a reminder in relationships between Jews and non-Jews of your identity. And you pass it up entirely differently, right? Because one way. Right, one way, if it, if it ends up, you end up making something impossible, so what's lost? I didn't value the relationship anyway. But if you think that the goal is to regulate the relationship, so then if it eliminates the relationship, you haven't accomplished the purpose of the halakha. Yes. So you have a concept of like, look, like, you don't necessarily always take the reason. Good, right, so that's one of the things you have to talk about, right? Is it ever possible, right? So at Darshin or Lodarshin and Tama de on the right level, Right, so I'll just, if you look at my website, there's a sheer on that. 
additional freezer, but anyway, that's great. That's, that's why it's not, that's why I don't have to give that share to break just yet. But they do have a share on that, that's a great question. What's your name? That's really free. It's really thank you. Okay, so that's a, um, that's a second, right? So one thing to think about is what is the power of art? The second thing to think about is whether the halakot here are intended to um, constrain in the sense of not being able to express things or only to create ways of ensuring that when you express them, you do them with halakha in mind. Uh, third thing you might have to know is uh, the playa, the dialogue called the ayah, uh, which sets up a permanent fight between poets and philosophers. Because uh, poets claim, poet, right, poets are artists, right? It's really a fight between artists, between artists and logicians. Uh, right? And artists always claim divine, divine uh, inspiration, and they're not constrained by the same rules as logicians. And Plato, therefore, argues that there is no space for art in the Republic except unless the artists agree to be completely censored by the, um, right, by the philosophers. And the only purpose for art is right, if, it, if it teaches things that have already been agreed to by the philosophers. But obviously, the, um, the artists don't agree. Uh, right, so do, right, and the artists argue that they have access to a mode of revelation that is inaccessible to philosophers. So what do we think about art? Uh, and one way, of, uh, one way of thinking about it to some extent is thinking about the salah. Uh, and I want you to remember right, that God, when it says about the salah, it says, wrote natan So what does it mean when it says the salah is doing something with a rote? What is the hal- what is the salah supposed to be teaching? Right, did the salah was the salah somebody who spent all day until that moment the salah had never left the base marriage and all of a sudden God tapped on the shoulder and said, "By the way, you have previous unexpressed artistic talent, uh, right? And now you're right, now, and now you're going to go express it." Or is it that the salah was the best of the whole community of architects, and the goal was to ensure that the Jewish people had architects and they would use that, ar- that, ar- that architecture for sacred purposes? Uh, right, so what is our, what is the role of people who have the capacity to express things through art um, in um, in halakha? And a fourth thing to think about is um, anizmirah. Uh, anizmirah, uh, if you've ever thought about it, you know, anizmirah is uh, trying to deal with a paradox similar to what we're talking about. Anizmirah is trying to figure out how can you, uh, how can you, um, how can you describe God, but there's an incredible yearning to describe God. And the solution is what? Take all the descriptions of God in Tanakh and put them together into one song. Anazmir is a reflection of a tension between recognizing that there is a powerful um, religious desire to describe God, and at the same time recognition that, wow, describing God is a profoundly dangerous thing religiously, and it works out a compromise. And the compromise is that we, can, right, that we can describe God in the words that prophets have used to describe him, but we can't use our own words. Or we can't use it now. Could we paint any images of God here? I don't know. Uh, right, but what, what does it mean to say that, you know, so there are, there's a list of pre-approved images? So we don't have prophecies, so that's different, right? But what about, what, what if we work in other genres? Right, do we, is the end of... Is the end of describing angels the same? Are we just an unaware about angels? We just collect all the ways in which angels have described them not? Or no, that's about God. Angels actually, right, maybe we want to free the imagination about angels. Okay, so those are right, those are I think some of the um, some of the questions that uh, one has to 
consider even before we right before we've done it, you know, any of the Makoros seriously inside. And truth is in this presentation, I set up literally no Makoro. I didn't give out Makoro, because my goal is to frame like what you have to do to think about it, aside from the the rigorous logic reasoning. We'll talk about it, but I'm not actually going to read text um, with you. Uh, to a great extent that we'll, you know, you can, we can, um, some of that's in the article in the book, and uh, some of it's in longer term conversation. So one of the, um, the tributes that uh, students wrote, I thought really captured a lot of this. This is Yedidya, that's now Yedidya Nabowen, was teaching in Hartmanstown, I think, in Israel, at that time Yedidya Schwartz. Uh, so he writes, he writes the following. So I thought originally that there, I'm translating Hebrew to Hebrew. I thought originally to say that nowadays, there is no chashad of Avodah Zorah at all. We just don't, we're just not worried about people going off and worshiping Avodah Zorah in the sense of worshiping images. Right? That's not right. We make fun of people who worship idols in that sense. And we always have to, when we talk about Avodah Zorah, right, everybody always says, the Avodah Zorah of today is, right, is money. The Avodah Zorah of today is, right, is this political position. Right? But nobody says the Avodah Zorah of today is statues of, uh, right, statues of half men, half fish. Right, that's not what, right. So he said, well, you know what? So maybe, right, so the prohibition, the prohibition, um, the, the, the vast majority of the non-Jews surrounding us, right, they do not uh, worship the, the works of their own hands. All the things that Yeshaya makes fun of them for doing, right, making statues and worshiping them, nobody does it. Um, we have, in fact, completely uh, completely killed the Torah for Avodah Zarah, which is the Gemara and we're going to talk about in a moment. And therefore, he says, like, what's the, uh, right, what's the issue? Right, what's the issue? If the whole concern about statuary is that people will come to worship the statues, which is one, certainly one way of reading the Rama, that the whole concern about images always is concerned that people will come to worship the images um, instead of God, you know what? Nobody's going to come to worship anything because of the statues. Yes, Sam? Did he say that there's ways to Hakata to worship Masay that he because he's trying to actually the question of Christianity for Zara? So like, even if it is, it's still not Masay Ayan. Yes. But it's not it's not you know, it's an angel. It's not a it's not it's, right, it's not a, the the image is not a it's not a messianic figure, it's an angelic figure. We have angels too. And whether we conceive them the same way is an interesting question. We have angels too. Okay, then he said though. Um, he said that you know what, but it's not there are Kimuras, um, which seems to think that the issue is not a Buddhism. The issue is finding something other than God powerful in the same way. Al Kitu Elidim is read by the Gemara saying, Al Tifanu El Midachem, don't move God out of your mind. And there he said, read um, his formulation. He says, I was, I was, I was deeply disturbed. Is a free letter never because in, in your in your in your your, ex, your honor's letter, he you, you mentioned how much you admitted how powerful you found the image. Saying, I remember that when I was in university, right, many times I was right, I was driven to spend lots of time just staring at the statue. Right? So you should know that the power of statuary is the same as the power of idols. The experience you were having. It's the same experience that Abdullah Zara had, even though it's not my idolatrous experience. 
And maybe we're just opposed to that kind, right, that kind of effect of art. Maybe we don't like powerful visual art. Maybe we really don't, don't like pl powerful plastic art. Because, right, because it, you know, if we want the, 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 in a platonic sense, because all art is a lie, right, it, right, it makes you think about image more than, right, more, more than reality. It makes you think about, you're still, you're still giving, ascribing significance to the work of human hands as opposed to the work of God. And so, right, and so you think you ended up um, really, um, really, really disturbed. And wondering, like, you know what, even though you know, it would be easy to come to the technical head there, it would be a very bad idea to say that we recognize, right, we recognize the power and not the value. That's another, right, really, I thought that was, that really, um, that really, you know, tied up. You have to understand, right, it's not, you can't dismiss it. But not, but is it necessarily the case that we support all powerful experiences in the world? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, here's another. Here's another. Uh, another shift um, Let's suppose that we end up with a set of halakhic regulations about art, and you can't, right? There is a, there is a, a work called the Madrid Lamadu called the Alaka, right? Which is just you know a list of rules. If you want to draw, if you want to draw a cow, here is right here are the conditions for drawing a cow. If you want to draw an angel, here are the conditions for drawing an angel. If you want to draw a human being. The recognition of writing a landscape, right? And this is right, it's just a set of rules for artists to follow uh, when drawing. And the purpose of it is um, to set up, I think, I'm not sure the person who wrote it understood this, but what it essentially does is it's a roadmap for making sure that artists can draw whatever they want. Right? Uh, right? There's nothing you can't draw, just you have to write, here are the technicalities you have to right, you have to obey. And so let's make sure here's a list of technicalities and make sure you do like yesterday, like, right, Rosenstein. Not drawing, right? Not drawing limbs, but using um, using metal, metal, obvious metal or wood in his paints. Right? He paints limbs to look like metal or wood. So, right? So he's not having um, he's not having live figures. Um, okay. So, how do we expect these regulations to be imposed? Do, right? do we expect them to be regulated by other people? Right? That there's going to be a board of censors and all halakhic artists. Um, right, ap uh, right, before and after doing their work, will come to a right, to a board of uh, to a board of halakhic censors, who will then tell them whether they should display the work or destroy it. Okay, that's one model. A second model is to say, no, actually, what we'll do is we'll just set out rules like this much, right? And that's our goal. Our goal is to produce a set of rules that will enable all artists to do what right to do this. So they never have to ask anybody. The purpose of having transparent rules is to enable, right, is to make sure that the artistic process goes on unconstrained. And mostly, you do is you have to ask somebody, did I properly interpret the rules? If you want, then if you don't, you'll go on. Right? Nobody's ever going to tell you you have to, right? You're, you have to tear up your artwork, um, right? Because we just, right, it's part of your religious life, and you work it out according to the rules. What you work out must be it, right? If you want to display it, sure. Okay, if you want to display the shul, so then, right, so then you'll go to the, you'll go to, you'll go to whatever the ritual committee of your shul is and ask, right, do you object to this beautiful image of an angel holding, right, holding, holding human being, being right, at the, right, you know, being, being a shul or not, make it, make it decide, you know, or carved into your stained glass window or whatever, whatever it may be. But nobody's going to do it, right, it's not censorship, because nobody's ever going to make you do something. Here's an even more radical This is drawn from a position of Rabiakka Kamenetsky. Uh, not about our will. Ryadi Kamenetsky asks the question, when it says in the first mission of Pirkei Avodah, 
that they are trying to cast on Yidol is said by Asius Yadva Torah. Made with any kind of around the Torah. What was Halakha like before the Hashem Kassar Yadol said that? The vast majority of what we know as Halakha is actually Halakha's Rabbanon that are built, uh, that are built around Halakha's Deraisa. So, what was it really like? So, the Rabbi Kamenetsky suggests in one place that, of course, there was a need to build fences around the Torah, but there was no need to build objective fences around the Torah. Before that, the Hashem Everybody made their own fences. Uh, they had to identify their own Yisrael Hara, they didn't know where they would like to fall, and then they would make rules for themselves. Right? You know, I, know, I, know that I, really, I know that I really like cheeseburgers, so I'm not going to walk within 200 feet of McDonald's. Whatever, 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 whatever your rule. And then what happens is that Amashikas Abdullah lose faith in the um, lose faith in the population and decide Right, that people no longer are good at knowing it. It's like you know, they looked around, you know, the Pacific, they looked around, they discovered lots and lots of people making zeros, keeping themselves far, far away from shadows. And nobody making fences around the rights. Because everyone said, Arayos me? <laughs> no way I'm gonna violate no way I'm gonna, no way I'm gonna violate Rios. But Shot is that I have this incredible urge every day to walk right to uh, to walk out wearing wool and linen combined. And so they you know, first they ban they ban you know cashmere. And then they, then they made artificial fabrics design book, and then the whole book's written just to protect the Okay. Someone that because of Noah said, you know what? We no longer live in an age where people identify the only thing around well. So we need to say, but maybe, uh, maybe the purpose of the code of art is for people to internalize what it is the Torah is trying to say, and then to build their own rules as to how they avoid violating that, whatever it is the Torah wants us not to uh, Torah wants us not to violate. Okay. Um, the way the primary subject is set up, and then um, I'll finish this presentation and I'll move on to more reading the book and we'll talk about further to go along with it. The way the sugya, uh, the primary subject is on Rosh Hashanah Daf Tav Dalet Amud Aleph and also on the Torah Daf Min Bet. And the sugya goes as follows. Um, it starts off by, the, it starts from the Mishnah which says that Rabbi Gamliel had models of the moon. Which he used to show with and these are presumably three-dimensional, right, three-dimensional models of the moon. And so you are say, like, how could Rabbi Gamliel have three-dimensional models of the moon? Isn't there a rule against making some kind of image, any images of the moon? Okay, and, right. And in the process of talking about of talking about the moon, there's a series of answers by Abaye in which he says, no, it only applies to right. No, things only apply to, to first of all, the point is, it only applies to things which. Um, the sort of making copies only applies to things that can be copied. Well, that's a really interesting claim. Right? There's, a, there's a prohibition of making, the art quotes a prohibition of making anything like that of the Beit HaMikdash. Tavnit kol asher, right? That's right? There's a whole list of things, which we could think includes also the sun, moon, and stars. And the artist says, no. Actually, the prohibition, that prohibition only applies to things that can be copied. Angels can't be copied. Sun and moon can't be copied. They can only be imitated. So there's a prohibition against making a shulchan like the shulchan of Bedemikdash. But there can't be a prohibition of making a sun like the sun in the sky, but you can't have a sun in the sky. Right? That's one really important distinction. Abayah gives a series of other answers, and, and what drives everyone crazy for years is that even though Abayah's answers are sequential and they respond to kashas, they're never introduced by Ella Amar Abayah, so it sounds like they're additive as opposed to alternatives, even though in the normal structure of the Gemara, 
they would be alternatives, and you'd have your cells which add the word Ella in. Um, but most of them don't have, right? don't have Ella's, and so they, they have to find ways to restructure the, the circuit that is more complicated than we can do right now. In the process, there are, the Gemara ends up saying that angels are prohibited from uh, a share in two different, two different possible looking. One is a share bashamayim nimahal. You can't write, write that's in the Asar And Shamayim Ma'al means that by sense the things that are above the sun and moon stars. Okay, and that's what that's angels. And secondly, from Lut Asun Iti, right, those are things that are together with me. God, angels again are in this, right, are in this elite circle of being of being with God. And we have a whole sorts of discussions as uh, as to right if, which going going back going back to the sun and moon and again. Right after this whole long discussion, which we sounds like we basically damn all sorts of images, the Gemara gets back to the question: What about Rabbi Gamliel? Well, we forgot about him along with Sugya. And the Gemara gives a series of answers. The, the answer that matters most is the answer is: Oh, Rabbi Gamliel is different because Rabbi Gamliel, um, Rabbi Gamliel is doing it l'hamid l'lahorot. Right? There's another pasuk which says: Look to l'hamid l'asud. Sorry. Right? Don't learn, don't learn to do. The verse is Avalat But you can make things in order to in order to learn and instruct. And even though that is not talking specifically about the context of making Mahal of the Sun and Moon stars, the Gemara applies it to making Mahal of the Sun and Moon stars. So what are the parameters of the permission Lahorot? So there's one I never heard of until yesterday. Uh, we had a really cool last name. The name is Rabbi Eliyahu Salvation. Uh, wrote an article, wrote an, artic- wrote an article in a journal called in a journal called Asia uh, about ten years in Tashin Samatet, uh, like forty years ago. He says the following: It is true, I'm translating it that Chazal ex- broadened the hetter of Lavina Lahoros to other Torah prohibitions beyond the, the specific one of Lotilman Lasov, and he had. Many examples which are clear, right? Alexander could learn from magicians, right, to pronounce the name of God out loud, right? So if it's true, as he thinks he's demonstrated, the Chazal extended the head of Lavina Lahorot from the specific context where it says Lotil Madlasa to other prohibitions. So the question arises naturally. What other prohibitions can be included within the center? And what are its boundaries? Uh, right, we can say in general, Chazal regularly quote this hetter about other kinds of prohibitions. I would say at some point somebody even quoted it to be Machir Batasi. That's not in Chazal, that's later. Um, perhaps the general message is, that the Torah simply doesn't constrain us intellectually, that learning anything is matir everything. Because after all, it's matir things that otherwise the Elohim are. Elohim are the most serious system. So we're matir things that otherwise the Elohim are, so long as your intention is to learn. So maybe we're matir everything, so long as your intention is to learn. That's a really dangerous thing. You know, it could go well beyond autopsy. Uh, right, we, we, we end up having to set up boundaries about how serious you desire to learn it, other consequences. But that's a, um, I mean, that would set up a, you know, a, a, after all the work setting up the, uh, the technical, whatever technical prohibitions we want about, uh, about, about art, it could turn out that, um, 
all is applied only so long as you're not engaged in some kind of constructive purpose. But as long as you have some, uh, read some constructive purpose in order to everything with it. Right? That would be the right, that would be or we could try and say, no, you know, we're gonna start introducing notions um, right, the difference between higher order and lower. Right? So we're gonna allow right, so we're, we're gonna allow really, really cool horse statues, but we won't allow you to draw angels in graphic novels. Because graphic novels, that's not worth it. Well, once we put it in the level or something, right? That's a you like graphic novels? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's to, to learn what not to do? Okay, right, so right, so Ravel's right, elevation takes the most right, the most expansive version of loving the road, right? That it's right, that it, it just means intellectual freedom. As long as you want to learn something. Right? Rashi takes the right, take, right takes the minimalist position, right? These are Roman Soy terminology. Right? Rashi says that it's to learn only to learn exactly what's usher so you can judge the cases. Uh, right? When somebody right uh, where you have, to know, you have to know enough about witchcraft, so then when a witch comes, you can say, ah, that's witchcraft, that's not witchcraft. Um, and, you know, so it's a little hard, like, why, why is it you're allowed to do it? So the answer right, makes the whole field of two comforts appear with magic. So why shouldn't you be allowed to do it? Well, I have to know whether it would work to be done or not. It's a little vexing, right? But then you can find, um, so then here's, the, here's the, the, the proof, which I think is the, the best proof that you can't be limited to Russia. Rebbe Gamliel, is allowed to have models of the moon. Not to learn about what, what kind of models of the moon you can't have. Now, we have models of the moon in order to understand astronomy. Now, you could say that the only, need, the only reason you need to understand astronomy is for the context of Ejus HaKodesh. And you could make the assumption that Ramil never looked at his models except in the context where he only bothered to learn astronomy because of Aegis HaKodesh. But that's not obvious at all in the Gemara. The Gemara said that Ramil was allowed to have models of the moon. Um, and it wasn't, and certainly not Rashi, it's not to know what was us here. Now all you figure is what mitzvah to fit things into, right? You know, like one extreme, right, many of you know, right, that the Ramah says that uh, making a living is a mitzvah in the context of Shabbos. You're allowed to have conversations about business on Shabbos. Um, right into the Dabra because otherwise you're, uh, otherwise you're not completely in it so far enough. So. so that would get us very far. Yes? Do we have any evidence that this was historically like, ex- expanded to art? So, Levin and Laurel means always read art because they don't understand art better? No. I can't give you any evidence about that at all. Um, right, that would, that would, right, there's a, what we have to do is, is discuss you know, what, would it, what would it take to. Um, to establish that art was something that was all understood and appreciated. Right, that would, right? Or that they understood to fall in the category of loving. Well, so if everybody's is right, they apply love on road everywhere. I mean, appreciation of, of, of a certain area of... Right. Something that's worth learning. Appreciation of art is something different from the permissibility of art that may be banned or whatever reason. I mean, there's a difference between liking art and liking oral art. So that's what I was talking about, right? Just like you wouldn't say astronomy also, right? But the question is, do you think it is of something as value? So if you if you say that the permission means you can learn anything of value. Well, if they felt that art was of value, it doesn't mean or any art was of value. It doesn't mean that they felt that art in terms of war statues. That's true. That's true. You have to write, you have to write. That's why we're trying to make decisions. <laughs> we don't know. 
Right? I'm just saying what the parameters are we thinking about. You had a question, yeah. That's a fair question also. Were they just there? Uh, I, yeah, I think that it's reasonable to assume that the figures were ways in which uh, we really have figures like them to learn astronomy itself, but can't prove that, right? You can narrow it. You can narrow it dramatically and say, no, they just had figures because the witnesses who didn't understand astronomy had to have like, things to show to them. Yeah, the purpose of using stars to work from a very narrow So Rabbi Salvechik's argument is that it shows up about so many different Yisurim. That it sounds like they, they, they have a general principle to a model of so called the Malay Mani Yisurim. That's about in which context you can apply, not the nature of. Okay, and that was, we'll see they're already shown it. Right, they're shown in which writers pick it up explicitly that it's to learn, right? But here he says it's to learn, it's to learn a tukuna, learn a strata. Right, so they're already shown to pick it up. By the majority position, that's it, right? That's the character. Pick it up that way. Yes. Can you make the opposite argument that it's only Rabbi Mundell who's allowed to have a model because he assumes his attention would be pure enough to withstand any potential issue, as opposed to that, you know, say a standard person who is not? We could, except the Gemara gives us an alternate answer, Rabbi Mishani. So it gives other answers that are focused on that are focused on the circumstances, right, as opposed to on the content. So that doesn't seem to me to, to, me to be true. Um, yes. In, in terms of maybe, it's not art, but a historical example of Jews being involved in something that may be of a color Zara, while not helpful drinking. What about, I understand that Jews um, often were in the business of selling trinkets, like religious trinkets. Yeah. And, and so maybe that's, I mean, that could be, could that maybe help us learn? If you could sell a cross, crosses and stuff outside of a church. Yeah, you know, but that's maybe you could. Yeah, that'd be a, I, I, I would hate, you yeah. I would hate to, um, to justify something I found valuable by saying, well, okay, it's a little bit better than crosses outside the church. <laughs> and then, um, good, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But, okay, so now I'm going to move actually into, into stuff in the, uh, in the chapter. So now, right now we have this background thing that I think you need, to, you need to understand philosophy of art, you need to understand the power of art, uh, you need to understand how artists function. Um, and, in order to in order to um, approach this question, so what? Let's assume right, let's assume we emerge from that Gemara. We're not from other models yet. We emerge from that Gemara that is us to make images of angels. And now I want to find out what I can draw and I can't draw. What can't I draw? Let's assume that it applies to drawing, not to sculpture. Right? Or what can't I sculpt? Right? Like, so one possibility is that angels look like Prudhu. Uh, and in fact, the thirty straight image. Right, 30 Australians, right, is very much is very much drawn from you know from our images of Prudhu. So the problem with that is, first of all, we have a, you know God tells us to make Prudhu, and it's always iffy when you know when he'll say don't make right so don't right, don't make them except for these right. That's a, pardon. Yeah. So we have context when we make it, we don't make it right. So it could be that the Prudhu are only mutter in the base of Mikdash, and all the other things like the Shulchan you can't copy the base of Mikdash because. That's supposed to be exclusive, not because there's something terrible about a shulchan anywhere, anywhere outside, but the Kruvim really are terrible outside. They really have what is outside. Could be. Um, second, possi right, second possibility is that um, this is possibly raised by the Nupiyosi, which has a lot of impact on the is that you can't make angels in the way described by a tester. 
Um, right? This is the anti-Anaverus. Anaverus right? says that what makes, what makes it mutter to talk about God is that there's stuff like that in Tanakh, and angels are the exact opposite. What makes it usher is that they were described that way in Tanakh. So it's really worth thinking about, right? Why is the, why the prohibition about angels the inverse? The prohibition about Tanakh. The problem with it is that Yefesul has many pictures of angels. Right? So how do, uh, right? So how do, right? So, you know, so the Nebuchadnezzar it says it means a person with wings. Okay, right? The Leonardo da Vinci flying ornithopter. That become that right now becomes us because he's a person with wings, and Yefesul is very familiar with how many wings, right? Six wings, right? Uh, right, si uh, right, six six wings, five wings. You, you possibly six wings or six pairs of wings, uh, right? What about Ophanim? Is it us to draw wheels now, or wheels within wheels? And so while the Yosef says this, it's very very hard for me to understand how uh, right, how we would actually play this out because there's so many other descriptions. Um, of, of angels now, but most seriously, what do angels usually look like? People! So what's the difference between prohibition, right? prohibition and angels and drawing people? Right now we get back to my grid. Call this a grid. What happens if I paint a picture of a man serving three other men under a tree? Is that a picture of angels? Depends, right? Right, depends what you think it's offering, right? You label it offering, offering them all up and we're not. And even so, right? is that a picture of angels or a picture of angels appearing as human beings? Right? What if I draw a human being dressed up as an angel? Right? That's right, that's really a uh, that's why you had a question, yes. Um, I think when, when angels appear as humans, that's a divine intention, right? Like especially in this sort of uh -huh. So you can't I don't know if it's fair to make the the comparison between let's say our intentions with regards to art. Which are generally within reason understandable and God's intentions of, of his But we said that you can't make angels look like Yefesco, that's God's intention. And if, why, why don't we say that God showed Yefesco this picture because he said, look, when you draw angels, you're supposed to draw it this way. And that's the whole goal. The answer is no, you're supposed to draw angels anyway, other than the way you've described by Yefesco. Right? That's a really, right? so it sounds like the, I can argue, right, that the purpose is to, right, is to avoid having anybody think they have drawn an angel. Uh, Here's the Rambam, which I think is really the most compelling thing. Rambam says the following: The Ruish should take up. You should know. I'm going to talk about reading English for the first time. You should know the representations of human beings. One does not violate by making representations of beings unless they stick up three-dimensionally. Why? Because it's only only three-dimensional portraits of human beings are tunos of human tunos. Right, the biblical term, right? Or tunos of human being as perceived by human beings. Right? When we look at a one at a two-dimensional thing, we don't think. That's a human being. We don't even think that's a copy of a human being. We think that's a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional being. But he says, representations of stars and planets constellations, when violates by making them even if they are flat, because their actual form is flat according to the way people think. Right? People perceive the sun, the moon, and stars as disks. And therefore, he says, it's usher to make the, it's usher to make flat images of the sun, of the sun and moon and stars because that is representing what you see. Now, I'm not sure of his visual theory because like, you can see, you can see people in the barn. This is against the right background. People up here flat also, and you know the reverse works as well, right? That you have you have cardboard cut cardboard cutouts, and cardboard cutouts will fool people into believing that they're that they're really people because we have right because we have depth. So I'm not sure what Rambam is is describing, but that's his rationale. And here we get the angels. So too, representations of, mini of, of um, ministering angels, um, meaning representations that people agree regarding, 
when violates by making them, even if the representation is flat, because they have no forms of or images in the way of truth. This is, very, this is a really interesting claim. And Rambam says that what's usher is to draw things that other people will recognize as angels. Convention. Right? It's usher to draw things that are conventionally understood as being, as being angels. And therefore, um, right, therefore if long, as long as people think this is an angel, it's fine. So the problem is, what about the word angel? What if every time I, I say the word angel, I, you see the word angel, you automatically think of a being with wings? So why am I not doing exactly the same thing as when I draw? Um, right, now this ties in very well to uh, the Ramah's understanding of the prohibition of drawing the sun, moon, and stars. The Ramah holds, and it's very hard to square with the Sugya, the Ramah holds the prohibition against drawing the sun, moon, and stars is not about drawing astronomical bodies at all. The Ramah thinks that the prohibition is always against drawing the zodiac or the religious representations of the things. Right? So the Ramah has no history at all. Of, uh, drawing, of drawing astronomical beings at all, and then he thinks apparently that the whole sugya about Rabbi Gamliel should get thrown out because there's no kashu in the first place. Because what's wrong with having with having orbs that rotate? Uh, right. So that's right. So that right. So the prohibition for the Ram is only the conventional meaning, and it seems like the conventional meaning that people ascribe significance to. And that it's unlikely the Ram thinks it's usher to. To, to draw the zodiac in a culture which doesn't believe in the zodiac as having any power at all. Okay, right, you know, you're in Wyoming, looking at that Yes? Yes, in the front system. In the under the carpet, right? There's, there is this, I, I grew up, right, every Shabbos, walking over the, uh, the mosaic of the zodiac in the, in the front system, which eventually, the devil literally insisted on having covered. And one of them is a picture of a woman, and for a while they were all uncovered except for a picture of a woman. Yeah, that's, what's interesting is, that in the uh, in the Rishonim, there's really no concern. Right? They talk about Zodiac. There's no concern about Virgo per se. That's a really interesting. Uh, right? That's really interesting. Really. There's discussion about angels back and forth. Nobody ever debates the specific image. Um, okay. So the question is right. So why should such representations be uh, be forgiven? So be, be forbidden. So one possibility is again, it's the. Um, I guess here we have to do is we have to talk about a. Um, you know, what a Buddha's over and there, uh, the Vodazar has at least two important, um, two important meanings. Um, so the term, right, Zara in, in Tanakh comes from Eish Zara. And Eish Zara is not about worshiping the wrong God. Eish Zara, right, the Dhamma view, worship the right God in the wrong way. So Vodazar always has two meanings. It's about worshiping, either, either misidentifying something as God, that's meaning one, and the other is misidentifying God as something. So the question is, right, what if we think that prohibition against drawing angels are rooted in Avodazara, which of them we're trying to do? Are we afraid that you'll have a wrong impression of that you'll have, you'll think that something is an angel which isn't, or you think that an angel is something which isn't? Is it possible that's just a separate answer? That let's say it's prohibited to worship yeah. angels? Not in the Ramah. Not in the Ramah. The Ramah, everything is Avodazara, but other Rishon yeah. uh, could be. Um, right, sure, right? Then the question always has is, if we ban, if we're in a Rambam world, it seems to me that the only purpose of banning images is to ban your thinking in certain ways. 
And that's very, but the, but that's a lot ever work then. It doesn't succeed. In right, or the banning images just have people construct their own images. It's the only choice you can have which images people have, which images people have, and not whether they have images. Right, so that actually attracts a lot of yes, right. But basically, the community just you know, dismisses such approaches. And the reason is that we live in a Rambam culture. And living in a Rambam culture, um, we basically say, right, it's silly to think that images could have power. So why would we ban them? Right? So we only ban images that people believe have power, and there are no such images anymore. Right? Now, every once in a while, we run into Catholicism, that's a bit of a problem. Catholicism. Catholicism really does believe in images of power, but Islam doesn't. And we don't generally live in a culture that uh, thinks that way. Now, there are two ways to One, I started with the Yiddish voice, so I wanted to quote the Gemara Yuma. Gemara Yuma says, and it's right, that Chazal killed the Yitzhara for Bazar. So it makes a lot of sense, right? That Ramam is part of you know, is working on that universe. The Gemara says, and Yuma says, that when they killed the Yitzhara for Bazar, a giant lion, right, a lion, a lion, a lion of fire came out of the Kodesh Kodeshim. So they didn't think the Yitzhar, right? So the Yitzhar wasn't a powerless thing. And it comes out of the Kodesh Kodeshim, which means that there's something powerfully religious. Now you lose something about religion generally when you lose the Yitzhar for the Yitzhar. Okay, so what I think is, what I think is as follows. The problem is, right, that, that just costing that way, just costing like the Ramam is saying, we get rid of, you know, we get really no shadows at all, assumes that all art is meaningless. 
And there, there, there are a number of bad ways to pasquin. One, one bad way to pasquin is to just come up with a list of things that artists can and can't do. For example, people say, oh, you can't take, you can't, uh, you can't paint a whole human being, it has to be missing a limb, right? So now, right, here's a painting, and there's a guy sitting behind the table. Well, is it a whole human being? Or, right, it's really, it's not, it's not, obviously you wouldn't worship it because, right, because right, the person's wearing shoes, you can't see their toes. Oh, that's mother. Uh, right, and I'll, you know, I'll show you, right, there's somebody, right, I won't show you now, right, somebody who passed in the regular painting is mother because the figure is wearing a hat, and one of the ears is covered. Right, so obviously if you're doing that, right, you're not actually, you know, all you're doing is saying, right, we're going to create a hectic. You're not actually trying to regulate the art at all. Um, saying that everything is mutter basically says that art is powerless. Uh, right, there's, no, right, there's no meaning in images, there's nothing that's really scary about it. Um, but if you think that art is really powerful, if you think that, um, that Elidia is right, that the, that the kind of power that statues have, and images have, is still the same kind of statue that it had when there was a Yetzirah for the Zohar. This is the remnant of it, right? The Catholicism's attraction to images is real. So then you have to come with a halakha that actually takes art seriously. And you ask, right, ask the question, like, so what do we want to accomplish religiously by regulating art about angels? And that's the beginning of addressing the, addressing the Shabbat curse. All right, thank you very much. I'm happy to stay and answer questions. If you want to buy books, you can you know, bring it back and I can take a look at If you haven't signed up, please make sure that you do. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Also consider coming to the Center of Midrash if you haven't